Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, my name's Jack, and I love horrible movies. Each week on the Horrible Movie Podcast, producer Phil, a guest, and I talk about a horrible movie. We talk about the actors, directors, the budget, the box office, and like thereof. You also get silly songs, fake commercials, and too much fun to list on this promo. Available everywhere you get your podcast. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Like we should play the Welcome Back Cotter theme. It's been a while. Does seem like a while. Episode 94 of Sports Yak. Hi, I'm Corey Mann. That's Chuck Freebie. Welcome to the program. Did you know an NBA court is 94 feet long? I did not know that. But I don't want to disappoint the uniform junkies out there. So happy number 94 episode. This will be known as the Charles Haley episode. The former 49ers and Cowboys defensive lineman who played on five championship teams. Over 100 sacks in his career, five-time Pro Bowler. I believe he's a college football Hall of Famer. I believe he's in the Dallas Cowboys ring of honor. Charles Haley, good old number 94. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I was on an airplane to Alamosa, Colorado on Friday morning to see my nephew graduate. Came back over the weekend. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of things happening in your life I want to ask you about. A lot of things happening this morning. Yes. At the end of the episode, we'll wrap up with one of our favorite songs from 1994 to stay in theme with episode 94. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the news that broke as we record this about a half hour ago, and that's John Beeline is leaving the University of Michigan to become the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, signing a five-year deal to go to Cleveland. Now, Beeline has flirted with the NBA before. Detroit really wanted him last year. But the Pistons didn't have any kind of roster flexibility. They kind of locked in uh, to payroll with a bunch of guys. And Beeline didn't really see that as a great opportunity. He had talked to Orlando before. Uh, But this stage of his life, he's 66 years old. To be making this change kind of seems a little bit odd, but the John Beeline story to me is one of the more fascinating ones. I mean, the guy started as a high school basketball coach. He's never been an assistant anywhere. He has been the head coach wherever he's gone. And the whole reason the Cavaliers, there's two main reasons the Cavaliers want him. Number one, he is judged to be a brilliant offensive tactician, which might surprise some people when you look at how well his Michigan team played defense last year that it wasn't necessarily their offense that caught people's eye, but their defense. But he is 
he is regarded as a brilliant offensive tactician. And the other thing is, no matter where he's gone, starting at high school, working his way through the JUCO ranks, Division three, Division two, Division one, he has been able to create a culture of places, and that's what the Caval- this winning culture is what the Cavaliers want instilled into their team. So they interviewed four different people, but they decide on John Beeline. He makes the agreement last night, apparently, informed Michigan people this morning, and he will be the new coach of Cleveland, a team that has a 14% chance of getting that uh, lottery ping-pong ball tomorrow night for the number one pick, which, of course, is going to be Zion Williamson. So you seemed hesitant. Is it an age thing? To me, it is. I mean... 66 years old, and the grind of the NBA, the travel, the the number of games compared to the college ranks, I think that's he's taken on quite a bit. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. How much money? They have not disclosed that, but I have to think that they they threw quite a bit at him. The interesting thing is Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, is a big Michigan State booster, but he has always had a lot of respect for Beeline. And then the assistant GM for the Cavaliers is somebody who played for John Beeline uh, back at West Virginia. I want to stay on target here. You brought up the NBA draft and the ping pong ball. That's tomorrow night, which is Tuesday night at 8.30. So players aren't being chosen. It's the teams uh it's the order of selection order for the NBA of selection draft. and uh how many will they tell us tomorrow night well you'll know i mean you'll know the top i think it's they determine the top eight tomorrow night and then it goes by standing after that and then probably late summer right after the finals uh, june right after the finals okay. is when the nba draft is it's okay. the week after the finals are over I was thinking about your former intern and his first year with the Suns. Monty Williams. And how possibly he could have Zion on his roster. Yes, a good possibility for Phoenix. Uh, the Knicks are another team that have a really good shot at Zion Williamson. The Bulls, I think, have an outside shot of getting him. Do you think, Chuck, this NBA draft could really change a lot of storylines for the next five to ten years? Well, not only... Uh, the draft itself, but the fallout from that. Because there are a lot of people that think that Kevin Durant is going to leave Golden State after this year. I don't necessarily know that that's the case. But I think this will be one of the more interesting NBA off-seasons that there's been. To see the free agent movement, to see how this draft sorts itself out. Uh, After Zion... You know, and R.J. Barrett's going to be right there, another kid from Duke. But I don't necessarily think it's the deepest first-round draft that I've ever seen. Okay. Lakers got a new coach the last time we hit the record button. Frank Vogel, the former Indiana Pacers coach, kind of comes out of nowhere in that derby. They had talked to Tyron Lue. They had talked to Monty Williams. And the Lakers wind up going with Vogel, who – is somewhat of a proven commodity, was very popular in his time at Indiana. And then Indiana kind of thought, okay, well, we can take the next step here. And they moved away from Frank Vogel, and the next step hasn't really happened. 
I think that's a I think that's a good solid basketball choice. How he'll mesh with LeBron James is anybody's guess. You had mentioned to me off mic uh, because we weren't going to record on Friday, but you had heard something about a local high school coach, but apparently it has happened. He got reinstated. John Everingham is rehired at Wawasee. Uh, this has been a bizarre story from the start. You'll remember back in April, we did a little commentary on the program about the fact that, you know, in high school sports, you you kind of have to make a decision in terms of the culture you're going to create. And John Everingham had had been at Wawasee for three seasons. In each season, he won six games. But from all accounts, had been doing a great job building the youth program, getting the, the grade schoolers and the middle schoolers kind of up to speed with what his expectations are. Because ultimately, they're going to end up playing for him in a couple of years. That's, that's the hope. Here's the system I have in place. Teach it to the little ones, right. and then we move up the ranks. And obviously, you're trying to do the best you can with what you have in the high school as you inherit it, Yeah. but you haven't been able to teach those people your system. So they're learning your system on the fly. And quite frankly, they may not have been well-schooled in the fundamentals coming up, and you're kind of behind You're kind of behind a little bit when you're trying to compete with other teams, and, the, and that's been the case with Wawasee. So... Three years in, the school board decided he's not winning enough. We want him out of here. And the people in the community said, wait a minute. You know, we believe in what he's doing here. And there were all kinds of petitions circulating, all kinds of uproar about Everingham's departure. And a month later, they decide to reinstate him as the boys' basketball coach. So he will be taking that job. Now, let's break a little news here on Sport Jack. There is going to be a new hire down at Logan Sport High School. They have an opening, and they will be tabbing somebody that was on the Bethel basketball staff last year, and that's Drew Schaus. And he'll be the new head coach at Logan Sport. This will be announced tonight. And, of course, Drew was up for the head coaching job at Bethel, which eventually went to Steve Draven. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people credited Drew with with keeping that recruiting class intact as well as he could, although Drew Lutz eventually did leave that recruiting class to go to the University of Incarnate Word. But uh, Drew's going to get his shot, so the two Schaus brothers will be coaching high school basketball. Uh, Matt will be at Jimtown still. And Drew will be down at Logan Sport, a, a Logan Sport team that loses some pretty good talent with Skaggs and Penny from last year. But um, the Berries have a great tradition down there. Congratulations to the older brother, Ryan Lutz. He accepted a job at Granger Community Church here locally. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in charge of uh, small groups. You know, you, you have a huge church, you have a huge youth group, you break them down into smaller groups so everybody has a voice and a, a chance to talk things out and ask questions. So he's over there doing that. And uh, speaking of Bethel, I saw Tony tweet out uh, national champs again. Yeah, they they won the National Christian College Athletic Association Championship for both men's and women's tracks. So a great job by the pilots. Several uh, standouts, including Penn's Emma Jankowski, a two-time national champion. Uh, I believe she won the 800 and the 1500. So how awkward, or do you think it's water under the bridge when this coach comes back to that school? Just remain professional and let's get back to it. 
Well, he's been – here's the thing. He still was teaching in the school. Okay. It, it's not as though he got fired from his teaching position. So he was still around all the time. I don't know who was running the off-season program, uh, but now he can step back in. So in some ways, it's not awkward. Obviously, in other ways, you know there are people on the school board that didn't want you there. So you're you're kind of going back into this situation, and obviously the seat will remain warm for John Everingham, if not hot, for the next couple of seasons as he hopes to get the results from the investment that he's made in the youth program. But, look, he's a big boy. He knew that going in. Let's uh, keep talking about basketball, NBA playoffs. Wow, two game sevens yesterday that had people buzzing. Uh, certainly the performance of C.J. McCollum. Here's a kid out of Lehigh University that really carried the Portland Trailblazers in Game 7. He had 37 points. They were down by 17 on the road at Denver. Come back to win 196. Congratulations, Portland. Your reward, you get to play the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and Golden State will be a heavy favorite in that final. Then on the other side... I. Honestly, I was surprised Philadelphia gave Toronto as great a game as they did. Credit to Joel Embiid and the 76ers. It's a 90-90 game going down the stretch, and Kawhi Leonard takes the inbounds pass, circles the three-point arc on the right-hand side, and hit goes up, shoots a fadeaway jumper from the right corner that hits the side of the rim, bounces high, hits the side of the rim, bounces to the other side rim, hits that twice, and finally nestles through the net. And the Raptors win game 7, 92-90, so they move on to face Milwaukee in what should be a highly competitive Eastern Conference final. And you really have two MVP candidates in that final in Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks and Kawhi Leonard for the Toronto Raptors. Hockey! Boston buries Carolina 6-2. This has not been much of a series as of yet. We'll see if it becomes one, but uh, the Bruins looking very, very strong in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening on campus in South Bend at Notre Dame University. Well, uh, the Irish lacrosse teams both qualified for the NCAA tournament. Uh, The men's team as expected, beat Johns Hopkins last night, 16-9. Johns Hopkins is a team that is a traditional lacrosse power. It's a medical school primarily out in Baltimore, Maryland, but they get a lot of East Coast kids who have played lacrosse and for years uh, were a dominant factor in the sports. Uh, Their dominance has dwindled somewhat in recent years, but still a a perennial contender. Notre Dame has not necessarily played well against them, but they had home field advantage last night and paid off. Irish got off to a quick start in that game, and so now Notre Dame's in the Elite Eight of the NCAA Men's Lacrosse Tournament, and they have to go to Durham, North Carolina next weekend and take on the second-seeded Duke Blue Devils. Traditional ACC rivals going head-to-head there. That should be a, a very highly competitive match. Meanwhile, the Irish women's lacrosse team Again, succumbs to Northwestern, this time by a count of 13-10. Doesn't help when you put yourself in an 8 nothing hole at the beginning of the game, which is what happened to the Irish uh, and the Wildcats, 
who are one of the powers of women's lacrosse and have dominated the Irish over the years, do so again yesterday up on the shores, literally on the shores of Lake Michigan. I mean, the field abuts Lake Michigan. And so the Irish fall in that one 13-10. As for more postseason action, how about the Irish softball team? Deanna Gump's team will take on Wisconsin in the opening round of the NCAA tournament down at the Oklahoma Regional. That's a double elimination tournament. You're in a pool of four teams. Oklahoma, obviously, one of them, I, I believe it's uh, UMBC, might be the fourth team in that field. Uh, but the interesting thing about the Notre Dame-Wisconsin matchup, Corey, Wisconsin has a young woman from St. Joe High School by the name of Kelly Welsh, who is one of their star outfielders. And so she gets a chance to match up against her hometown team. Wisconsin was one of the powers of the Big Ten this year. And much like the Irish finished second or third in the league. So that should be a very solid first-round matchup. And that's played Friday night at 7 down in Norman, Oklahoma. For this episode and this episode only, you are known as Charles First Pitch Freebie. And why is that? Because you got to throw out the first pitch, Notre Dame baseball. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I got a text last week from Mick Aoki, the head coach of the Irish program, who, of course, I've known since he came to town. I had the opportunity to broadcast Notre Dame baseball games for 10 years. And he said, hey, we want to do a little something for you before the game Saturday. And so he didn't really tell me what it was. I said, sure. And so... You know, I showed up at the ballpark early and had a chance to catch up with a lot of the guys and talk to them. And and they said, oh, by the way, you're throwing out the first pitch. Well, I didn't really get much of a chance to warm up. So first pitch was a little high. I'd like to say it was a high strike. There might be some people who disagree. Uh, but it was over the plate, and I threw it from the rubber. So I was proud of that fact that I was able to get it to home plate and not bounce it in. And that was a fun thing that... It's the first time that I've ever been asked to throw out a first pitch at an early end game, that's for sure. And then they gave me this wonderful framed uniform uh, from the road because I spent so much time on the road with them and uh, has a nice plaque underneath. And it was a, a wonderful gift, and the Irish had a great weekend. I obviously inspired them with my athletic prowess <laughs> to sweep Canisius in three games. So they won 5-4 in the opener on Saturday, 3 nothing in the nightcap, and then they went on a walk-off balk yesterday and beat Canisius 3-2. to two. So the Irish still four below five hundred. They have four games left in the regular season, so they still have a shot at a five hundred season. Now, I'm asking for a friend. Any eligibility left on your part? There's, Believe me, there's lots of eligibility <laughs> left, and there's a reason for that. I enjoyed watching some Cubs baseball over the weekend when I had a chance to watch it. I haven't seen, oh, pardon my, is it the squeeze play? Well, what are you trying to describe? When you get somebody between first and second base and you're going back and forth? That's a rundown. A rundown. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen one of those in forever, and I saw two this weekend. You did see two this weekend. I think they both involved Lorenzo Cain from Milwaukee. (laughs) Oops. So... The Cubs win two out of three from their rivals to the north. They lost on Friday 7-0. We're never really in the game. Gio Gonzalez pitched a masterful game for Milwaukee. In fact, the the pitching, and and I thought the Sunday night crew, in a rare moment of lucidity for them last night, uh, actually pointed this out. 
the fact of the matter is it used to be games between the Cubs and Brewers were like slow-pitch softball games. They were big slugfests, like 13 to 10. That's not the case anymore. These are usually very well-pitched games. And so Gio Gonzalez throws well on Friday for the Brewers. Brewers win that one 7 to nothing. Then they come back for this 15-inning marathon on Saturday where Wilson Contreras hits the game-winning homer in the 15th. Cubs get their third walk-off of the month of May, third walk-off homer of the month of May, and win it by a count of 2-1. to one. And then yesterday, Chris Bryant stays hot. He gets another home run. John Lester pitches well, and the Cub bullpen, which was so shoddy at the beginning of the year, continues to dazzle, and they get a 4-1 win over the Brewers, and now Chicago has a two-game lead over Milwaukee in the National League Central. Who's the superstar for the Brewers, the young man? Uh, Christian Yelich is the reigning MVP of the National League. I thought uh, the little Alex Rodriguez piece with him on his batting uh, changes was fascinating. Yeah. You know, the spreading of the legs, they're moved closer together. Standing taller. You know, you have a, a, a bat length as opposed to, you know, maybe just a foot. And uh, and I thought, boy, he's being quite transparent, too. That's That seemed like a lot of information. Well, it's nothing, first of all, that other teams haven't been able to pick up on film. Okay. I mean, you could, you could see that on video very clearly if you were scouting him. Uh, the fact of the matter is, okay, he's made these changes. What do you do to counteract them as a pitcher? And it's interesting. I thought the Cubs did a pretty good job on Yelich over the weekend. They came right at him. They challenged him. The one thing I've noticed about Christian Yelich this year is the numbers when he's playing at Miller Park, his home field, versus on the road are astounding. All but one of his home runs are at home. His batting average at home is a full 100 points higher than it is on the road. So... Obviously, he's somebody who enjoys playing at Miller Park. His game is tailored well for that facility, but he's got to figure out a way to, to transport that on the road for him because on the road, he's been just a very pedantic player. What did you think of uh, KB's new bat, the axe handle? You know, that's interesting, too, and, and the changes that he has has made in his game and, and trying to tailor his equipment better, to and it's working for him. Yeah. I mean... He's been a red-hot player uh, for the last eight days. I think he's got something like four home runs in the last eight days. So swinging the bat well and and certainly has been uh, a factor in this Cubs resurgence, taking them up to first place. Let me ask you this question as as casual fan. Yes. If you had to pick an MVP for the Cubs for this season, who would it be? As of right now? Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm not asking you to project into august why not i'm good at it uh boy great question let me think about that while i ask you a question okay when you're not playing in the game and you're not on the roster are you still required to dress and sit in the dugout yes so because you might be summoned to play in okay the game. um maybe bryant well i think you could make i think you could make a case for chris bryant I think you could make a case for Javi Baez. Yes. But the one that was made a case for in the South Bend Tribune today in a Paul Sullivan article, and I think makes a very valid point, would be Wilson Contreras. Wilson Contreras 
gives you stability at the catcher position. His slugging, his what they call the OPS. So you have an on-base percentage, which mm-hmm. is the percentage of time that you reach base versus your at-bats, and your slugging percentage. Your slugging percentage is your total bases divided by your at-bats. So if you hit a home run every time up, you'd have a slugging percentage of 4,000. Well, nobody has that. So his OPS is the third best in the National League. So he is not only getting on base, he is crushing the baseball. Okay. And he has 10 homers now on the year, which I believe might be what he hit all of last year. So he's clearly made some changes in his game as well. The question will be, because we saw this from Wilson Contreras last year, he really tailed off the second half of the season. And as much as the Cubs ask him to work behind the plate, how much of a toll is that going to take on his body, and will he be the same player in the second half of the season? The game plan coming into the year was to have Victor Caratini be the backup catcher and and probably play 30% of the games. Mm-hmm. Well, Caratini broke his hand, and he spent more time in South Bend than he has Chicago. So now Taylor Davis, your favorite from Iowa, the guy that stares into the camera, Mm -hmm. tries to spell Caratini somewhat, but you can tell that Joe Madden just doesn't have all that much confidence in him because, quite frankly, Caratini caught 15 innings on Saturday and, or excuse me, Contreras caught 15 innings on Saturday, and they asked him to come back and catch the game again on Sunday night. Mm. So... My 12-year-old did notice, though, that Bryant has played outfield, third base, and first base in the the last couple of weeks. The versatility of Chris Bryant is one of the reasons why you might consider him as the team's MVP. Plus, the fact when Chris Bryant is hitting the baseball the way he is right now, the Cubs are a much different team than they were back in April when he was not hitting the baseball like he is. Mm -hmm. Baez has been consistent throughout. Baez is putting up numbers. If you projected his numbers out over the whole season, Corey, he would have 200 hits, he would have 40 homers, and about 115 RBI. So when when you look at those, you say, well, there's an MVP candidate right there. And the other thing about Javi Baez, if you watch him this year as opposed to past years, look how many hits he's getting going to the opposite field. Mm Mm-hmm. And last night was a perfect example. He drove that double into the right center field gap that scored Bryant with the go-ahead run in the uh, in the fifth inning. And boy, mum is the word on Ben Zobrist. I read a couple of articles, and it's all the same quote from from uh, Madden and Theo. It's just he asked for time off. We're going to respect that, and maybe we'll see him when he comes back. Yeah. So, hmm. All right. Uh, White Sox. Tim Anderson. Staying hot. Tim Anderson, uh, the best thing about watching White Sox baseball right now, quite frankly, had a home run yesterday. They win 5-1 at Toronto. Uh, The bat flip that created the whole hubbub uh, against Kansas City earlier this season, uh, he flipped it again a couple of times over the weekend against Toronto. But, hey, if you don't like it, here's the thought. Get him out. Well, nobody's getting Tim Anderson out right now. He's hitting about 330. He's one of the top 10 hitters in the American League. He was the player of the month in April. 
And the thing I like about Tim Anderson is they ask him, do you watch a lot of baseball when you're away from the field? And he's like, no, baseball's boring. <laughs> well, there's that. He's got other interests. So last night as I'm watching the baseball game and I hear the name Craig Council, I felt as if I was downstairs blowing dust off an old box that I've completely forgotten about. And I'm thinking and I'm trying to remember Craig Council, and I think he was playing for Notre Dame when I moved here in 91. Yes. And had a pretty decent run, right? With well, the yeah. Irish? He, he had a decent enough run that he wound up playing in Major League Baseball for about a dozen years. Okay. And uh, played for the... Florida Marlins and had the game-winning RBI in their uh, World Series win over Cleveland and just had a remarkable major league career and then was working in the front office at Milwaukee and they made a managerial change and they made him the manager and his bench coach is Pat Murphy, who was his head baseball coach at Notre Dame. Wow, funny how life has uh, yeah. those little circles. So is this and his first head coaching position? This is his first managerial position, wow. and he's done a great job yeah. up in Milwaukee. I mean, he took them within a game of the World Series a year ago. So the young man out of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, I call him a young man because he's younger than me, uh, and and still somewhat baby-faced, but, boy, what a, what a great guy, what a great family. It's funny how body size and image and age and athleticism plays such a role. Last night, my wife made a comment about John Lester. I called him Big John. She said, who's pitching? I said, Big John's on tonight. And she's looking at him, and she's like, man, he's a big dude, and but he looks older. And I said, yeah, he's 15 years younger than I am. And he's, you know, he's a 35-year-old, but he's, you know, throwing but compared, some and But compared to a lot of the guys who play, yeah, he is one of the older guys he on is. the team. Um, so I've been bugging Chuck off the mic to bring in the Hall of Fame trophy and now this uh, cool uh, road jersey from the Irish that is pleasantly placed in his house on display. And his lovely wife sent us some photos this morning. But next to the Hall of Fame trophy, <laughs> I I see this picture. And I start to try to, uh, once again... Chuck and I have been friends for almost 30 years, and I'm still trying to figure out little I, things about this guy. That I'm I just, a bizarre man. You are. You're, you're very secretive. I'm a bizarre man. You're very secretive. So tell me the story. Tell the the maniacs the story of Franz Klammer and the autographed photo on your old Victrola there. I am sure that most of the maniacs realize that Franz Klammer was the solemn ski champion of the 1976 Olympic Games at Innsbruck, Austria. Oh, sure. Um, Frank Gifford did a remarkable call of Klammer's run down the mountain to win the gold medal. He's not the guy that wiped out on the ABC Wild World no, of Sports, right? No, no, okay. no. Um, and the big deal about Klammer in 76 was he was Austrian, and he wins a gold medal in Austria at the Olympic Games. So... And years later, I found out that Frank Gifford's great call that he did of this, well, they recorded it after the fact. He knew what was happening oh, before wow. it happened. But that's that's the way they did it back in the tape-delayed days of the ABC Olympics. Nevertheless, as my kids were growing up, 
whenever they would ask me what I wanted for Christmas or Father's Day or a birthday. And I'm not a guy that I, I really don't want a lot. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't want my kids spending my money on me. Okay. So, and, you know, I would. That's I would, got such a funny ring to it. My money on me. Right. If anybody's <laughs> going to spend my money on me, I want it to be me. me. You know, so they ask me, they would ask me what I want. And invariably, I would say an autographed picture of 1976 Olympic ski champion Franz Klammer. This has been an ongoing joke for years. Since they were little. Okay. Yeah. So, and of course, who's going to get an autographed picture of 1976 Olympic ski champion Franz Klammer? Thus, it's basically my way of saying, you know, don't, don't bother. Don't even bother. So... At my the morning of my Hall of Fame induction back in April, my oldest son and his wife had made the trip out from Denver, and they joined us for breakfast. And he walks in beaming, handing me a gift-wrapped package. And I open it up, and it's an autographed picture of 1976 Olympic ski champion Franz Klammer. But it's with, really nice. With... A certificate of authenticity so that I could not question that he, you know, constructed this thing himself. No, no. This has actually been signed by the Franz Klammer. Tell me what you were going through. What were your, what were oh, your emotions when I you just, opened it? I, I laughed uproariously. <laughs> and the rest of the family got the joke because oh, they've yes. been on it forever. They, Yeah. Yeah. It's it, a cool picture of uh, Franz. There's an autograph picture of Franz, and then another like an action shot, and then a cool like a nameplate. Right? Is that what I'm looking yes. at when I see that thing? Yeah. That's oh. just like if if I said to my kids this phrase, because I went through I went through a phase in my life where I would go through diet cokes like you can't believe. Okay. I I six a day, no big deal, which is probably why I have all kinds of intestinal problems uh but anyway so i went through this phase with my kids where they could finish the sentence why don't you go downstairs and bring me up a diet coke (laughs) and then it was why don't you go downstairs and bring me up and i didn't even have to finish they would say a diet coke and then it got to the point where why don't you go downstairs Oh, and bring you up a die. <laughs> oh, the Franz Klammer story. Good stuff there, Chuck. So Ruby. Franz Klammer sits next to my Hall of Fame trophy <laughs> on the uh, on the old radio that I have from my grandmother's basement in my in my office. That almost makes me want to have one more kid so I can just have my own joke like that. <laughs> well, go ahead. No, I'm sure Debbie would love, love, love. To bear another child. That's a hard no. <laughs> no. All right. You feel like you've aired out the grievances? Trying to think if there's anything else we should cover in this episode. We've we've popped stories. We've talked about things. I think we should just get into the music of 1994. I'm going super obscure. Okay. Because uh, as I looked at those songs from that year, especially specifically the top 40 songs, because I am knee-deep 
in Top 40 Radio that year. I loathed that music. Oh, I know you hate the stuff. Loathed it. Uh, but I look at the rock chart, and I see a lot of stuff that I liked. Uh, Bush, Live, Stone Temple Pilots, um, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Pearl Jam. But I'm going to go with, and I'm so not ready, uh, do you recognize the name Jeff Buckley? Does that name do anything for you? No. Jeff Buckley uh, was an up-and-coming singer-songwriter. Chuck, he goes for a swim in the Mississippi River while he's waiting for his band to come to his location for uh, recording a record or getting ready for a tour. Jumps in the river, full clothed, and drowns. Oh, my gosh. And he was 30, 30 years old. So, more than likely, you'll remember his song, Hallelujah. That was kind of a big... Well, I thought that was a Leonard Cohen thing. It was, but he kind of pushed it to the next level. Okay. The song that David wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got a song on that same record called The Last Goodbye. This is our last Must I dream and always So we didn't have a lot of college rock stations in South Bend in no. the 90s. So when I would go to Chicago, you'd hear this one a lot. Like on the Q101... Or the, um, what was that other station down on the low 90s with Terry Terry Gross? Don't know. I can't think of it. I mean, I don't think we have a lot of college rock stations around here right now. Other than WGCS over in Goshen, occasionally play some alternative music. Ooh, I'm going to listen to that when I get home today. That's a good one right there. In my opinion. So, The Last Goodbye. A little bit prophetic there. Yeah, The Last Goodbye, Jeff Buckley. I am going, um, probably not quite as obscure, but not really something from the Billboard charts, per se. Although there were a couple of songs from The Lion King that wound up on the Billboard charts. The Elton John, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And Circle of Life. Circle of Life, which... Johannes uh, Cespedes uses as his walk-up song. But I will take something else from The Lion King okay. and the little song, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. <laughs> because we had a couple of little ones at the time, and that was something that uh, I like to sing loudly while dancing around the house with them because someday I thought, well, perhaps they would be king. And maybe they will, but... Doesn't seem evident right now. Feel free to dance around your own home as you listen to this on the podcast. all the songs in this live action of course they are yeah. you have to if you don't why bother now i'm reading a credit name rowan atkinson during the song yeah he's uh, oh he's, he was zazu yes oh 
Boy, what a juggernaut soundtrack. Oh, you aren't kidding. So you would sing this around the house. Oh, love this song. Everybody look left. Everybody look right. Everybody see me in the spotlight. Was it ever a ringtone? No. Oh, right. no. Guess we'll have to just choose to believe you at this time. There you go. All right. If you'd like to send a question or a comment, the sports yak with two K's at gmail.com. If you're listening on iTunes, Give us a uh, one of them star reviews and maybe write a comment. We uh, looked over those just last week for the first time in forever, and a couple of them had built up and some some kind words. Yeah, it was nice to, nice to see. And if you have a criticism, please feel free to lodge it. It feels like though the maniacs get what we're trying to do here, or I they hope understand so. the theme. I know nothing about sports. Chuck knows everything about sports. I'm the common man that gets access to him and asks questions, and he answers. By the way, here's something you'll appreciate. Yeah. I, I just thought of this. You know, we talked about this framed uniform that I got from Notre Dame's baseball team. Yes. Edwin Jackson. Remember him when he was with the Cubs a few years ago? kind of remember the name, yeah. Pitcher. Well-traveled. In fact, he got traded over the weekend from Oakland to Toronto. And if the Blue Jays call him up, which they're expected to do this week, that would be his 14th Major League team that he has pitched for. Which would be a brand new record. I'm just thinking if he had a framed uniform from all 14 teams, he might be able to wallpaper his house. Wow, 14. Can you name them all? Can I name them all? No. Can you name them by next episode? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can we can look it up. And uh, for our one listener out there, and I realize we have more than one, but there is one who is a big Eric Kratz fan for the San Francisco Giants. Yes. Your boy better get on the stick. He's hitting a buck 25 right now. Playing like Kratz? Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Until next time, Yak fans. In the words of Clutch Cargo's noted, noted guide up in Alaska, what's the name? Snowshoe. In the words of Snowshoe. Booga looga! This is the Sports Yak Podcast. The following has been brought to you by Rabbit Wigs and the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You've been listening to Sports Yak, all sports information. All that you've just been heard has been copywritten. Don't steal any of this stuff. This is Jimmy Shorts. That's good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 
Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. 